What? Did we just become best friends? Yeah! One is a t-shirt queen, and the other is an SEO and web developing ninja. And both of these squirrels are a little nuts. You're now listening to the More Gooder Ideas Podcast, a show for the small business hustlers worldwide, encouraging you to be your most authentic self. This is the place where your whole story matters. Come for the tips and stay for the fun. Now, your hosts, Angie Patterson and Jay Smith. Um, All right, so you want to tell everybody what the hell we're doing here? Welcome to this episode of More Gooder Ideas. I'm Angie Yeehaw Patterson. I'm just Jay. And? Oh, I'm Miranda, and I own Velvet Outlaw, which is why we're here. Yay! Yay! All right. You want one now, right? That's why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here we are with Miranda, the owner of Velvet Outlaw. So why don't we kick it off with you just telling us what what Velvet Outlaw is? Mm -hmm. Sure. So it is a customized clothing business that focuses on making clothing for queer people and allies. Awesome. Yeah. And how long have you been in business? Full-time, seven months this month. Okay. Um, according to the government, um, like a year and a half. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Cool. Yeah. They so, might be listening, so good job. Right. I mean, that's why I've been paying them taxes the whole time, so <laughs> it counts. <laughs> Make sure that's on the ledger. Um, so are there any big plans for your one-year anniversary? Um, probably not. No? Um, <laughs> because it Just will... Just a quiet night with wine? Mm-hmm. It will arrive, and I will be like, oh, it happened, and <laughs> I will have forgotten. Um, and I have a lot of other business friends that we kind of share like a same birth anniversary, business anniversary, oh, really? like in the same month. And so I think at least for me, I would rather celebrate them. And then like, if I make it to five years or when I make it to five years, when um, that'll be like the time to really celebrate. Okay. But I do plan on March 17th is my one year post fire anniversary. Um, Cause my old shop did have a fire. <gasps> last year um and so we will be celebrating that (laughs) (laughs) oh my god with a burn barrel or with a um i don't know something something i'm gonna come up with some yeah i i'm much more into celebrating like the random stuff sure as like better milestones than like these like formal milestones yeah you overcame a challenge and here's the anniversary of me overcoming this challenge yeah so because that really sucked Sure. A lot. Um, so, did you lose merchandise? No, but I lost like all the stuff I needed to like make the things. Oh, patterns oh. and tools and yeah, like oh, all gosh. of my like main patterns, my sewing machines, all of my thread. Like most of it was smoke damage. Which, if you work in textiles, you'd much rather have any other kind of damage than smoke damage because you can't get it out, mm-hmm. especially when it smells like burnt plastic or whatever. Um, and it's also harder to like prove that damage because it's not necessarily visible. Oh no. Um, but luckily I had really good insurance. And so if you have a business, you better have insurance. There's a, there's an easy tip. Yes. Um, that's really interesting. So I'd like to back up a little bit just because we're going to presume anybody watching Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is not familiar with you whatsoever. Yep. So you kind of alluded to your 
ideal audience for your clothing. What type mm -hmm. of clothing are you creating? Are you making it entirely from scratch? Is it more upcycle? What's what is the product? Really? Yeah. So I think when I first started Velvet Outlaw, I I had big ambitions, um, which as you all get to know me, will know that I'm like we're going to do the biggest thing ever. And then welcome to the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then you do the thing and then you're like, maybe not yet. Let's dial it back. I'm yes. Like, let's dial it back. Um, and so from that, I realized I can actually upcycle stuff. And so I take mainly suiting because I used to have to wear a suit to work every single day. Oh, okay. Um, and I hated it. And so this is kind of my like getting back at that whole thing. Sure. Um, but it's also very much tied into, um, like older, um, like classic country Western apparel. Sure. Um, and so like, I really love all of the like rhinestones fringe, oh, yeah. like all of that. Like we can, we can get into the backstory of that, like with nudie cone and like the nudie suits and all of that. Like that is very much my inspiration and where I pull things from. Um, and so for people that are like my age, so in like their 30s or younger um don't even know what i'm talking about when right. i talk about needy cone or when i talk about porter wagner or i talk about all these like um country artists but now in like the last i would say 10 years now that's probably generous four five years there's been a resurgence in these like rhinestone suits and like cowboy culture mm -hmm. and all of that is mm -hmm. really coming back but in a new way which is really exciting um, and so I'm trying to like find my place in that through Velvet Outlaw. I think you're right on brand with that, um, kind of culture too. Um, I watched this thing on the internet about the lady who runs Dolly Parton's, um, archives of her outfits. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things she talked about was really hard was because she would reuse items. She would upcycle things that she had already worn to yeah. be able to wear them again and so then she couldn't find, like, the original outfit because it had been made into, like, three different pieces for this other event. Um, and she used a lot of, like, local um, designers because she couldn't find what she wanted at a regular store. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right on the mark with the new and the old. Did, if I remember correctly, don't you do events in your space, too, for people to come in and do, like, a party kind of thing? Or did you at one point? Yes, I did. I am toying with the idea of bringing them back. They will look different than they did before. They were very structured, um, and it was like, we're making this one thing, and you can come make that. Um, and I don't know if that feels good to me anymore, um, just because we do so many different things. Um, and it felt a little prohibitive at the price point. And so in a newer iteration in this new space, I can fit more people um, and it allows me to have more supplies. And so I think I'm gonna do like, here's the like list of things that you can make at different price points. Okay. And then just like, you can just come make any of those things. Okay. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, another thing you said that was interesting, you and a bunch of, a bunch, but more friends than just you, have the same business anniversary. Mm -hmm. 
was that just pure coincidence or was, was like one of you started a business and somebody got excited and then they started doing their own thing or? No, I think it's just coincidence. Um, I mean, when I started Velvet Outlaw, like I was not in the creative space in this community in the way that I am now. I was in a totally different field altogether. Oh, wow. That's interesting. We need yes. to get back to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, art has always been a part of my life but I took like a 10 year hiatus and now I like got my life back together. Um, but then through starting Velvet Outlaw, I met all these other business owners who were also in, in on the same timeline as I was. And so we all kind of like formed this little like cohort. And so cool. we've been able to like share things together and like figure things out kind of simultaneously, which has been really nice yeah. because starting a business is really hard. Yeah. And you need other people that understand what you're going through. Yes. Because it's, I mean, it's very much your own thing, but that opens up other issues and problems that you thought were going to be solved by starting your own business. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's actually why I wanted to interview you because the first time I met you, which was at a vendor event, um, you kind of told me about what you did before Velvet Outlaw. Mm -hmm. And I mean, everybody has their story of why they started a business, but I just felt like yours was um, unique. And also unique as far as like what you did versus what you do now. Like there's not necessarily a clear well, <laughs> unless, transitional line. Unless, unless, you're like, in, unless you're in witness protection, I think everybody in the world other than Angie would like to know, what is that backstory? What were you doing before Velvet Outlaw <laughs> since we're going down that road? Witness protection. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Remind, um, remind me, we were talking about conspiracy theories before. Remind me to, to revisit that part right there. <laughs> yes, and this will all tie in nicely. Um, so I, well, my l most recent job prior to Velvet Outlaw was as a mitigation specialist. Okay. And so what that means is that I worked with public defense teams on capital murder cases. Okay. And so the people that we worked for were the people who um, were being charged with capital or with death pen penalty eligible crimes. Okay. And so we were actively working to remove the death penalty um, as a sentencing option for these people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Intense. Yes. <laughs> was there... It's giving me anxiety. Just it was literally it. life or death. Sure. That's like the only job... Well, not the only one of few where it's like, no, that's like actually the, th yeah. the thing. <laughs> so, you know, I, the presumption somebody hearing that might think was you burnt out or you just couldn't deal with that anymore and you wanted mm -hmm. to get back to your artistic self. But that's a presumption. Yeah. What was the big change? What, what drove you to start your own business? I think my creativity is just was bigger than my drive to stay in a traditional job. Um, because I loved that job. Like that was my goal. Like when I started, once I like figured out what I wanted to do in college, like I spent, you know, 10 years of my life working to get to that point. Um, and then I arrived there and I was like, oh, well now what do we do? Mm. <laughs> like yeah. I got here, but I did it so quickly, you know, I hadn't even turned 30 yet and I had already had a 10 year career and a really intense job. Sure. Um, which I don't recommend for a lot of people. Um, I think I did things 
backwards. Um, like I'm playing now in my 30s when I should have been playing when I was in my like late teens and 20s. Mm. Um, and so, and I think that idea of how things were supposed to follow this timeline is what prevented me from starting this earlier. Okay. Mm. Um, I was like, I felt like I had to like have a 401k, have a stable job, have all of these things, except for when you're a social worker, like you don't make any money. Right. And I didn't have a 401k and I didn't have any of these things. You just had the high stress career. Yeah. Without all the, without all the great stuff that's supposed Mm. to come with it. Yeah. And like, I don't, I got so much from that job. Like I have lived a thousand lives. I, I like, I've truly lived my life and I have like experienced the lives of other people, not like directly, but like as directly as you can without being there. Mm. Um, just by, cause it was my job to interview anyone that that person had contact with and anyone in that person's family for three generations back. Oh, wow. Wow. So I just spent all my time talking to people and learning about this person's life, learning about the people who were harmed, the people that caused harm, just like all of it. And then regurgitating that in a way that would make sense to a jury or to a judge. Um, That's really, yeah. Yeah, it's intense. And emotionally exhausting. Oh, sure. Yes. But I'm also like a little messed up. And so it was also like exhilarating and thrilling. And I, (laughs) I loved that. Like being able to just like wander around in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Kentucky and be like, what holler am I in today? Who am I talking to? Like I live for that. Like I love that. And so. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. You should have your own podcast. Why are you talking to us? Because I'm busy with rhinestones <laughs> <I'm> now. <busy. laughs> she has her own business, you. okay? She's got so, other stuff um, to do. Okay, I want to back up a little bit because this is just how we do this thing. We're very unstructured. Um, you start When you started Velvet Outlaw, mm-hmm. you were not part of the community you're a part of now. Mm-hmm. Did that happen organically or did you have to seek it out? Or did it just happen through, like, you met Angie, like, doing the vendor shows and stuff like that? Did you just kind of start building your your community? Yeah, I think it, it kind of both, maybe. Like, I can't think of, like, a time where I was like, I'm going to go be in this space for this specific purpose. I think it was definitely was more organic, probably. Um, I think once you kind of... Like you get a taste of that, then you search mm-hmm. it out more, or maybe you just notice it more. Mm-hmm. Like, I drive a blue car, so now I see blue cars everywhere. Like, you make that kind of organic friendship, and then that snowballs as time goes on because you can see those open doors. I went to Bellarmine, which is here in Louisville, mm-hmm. and I was part of the art community there. Like, that's what my background is in. Like, I have a minor in stone carving. Like, oh, cool. I've Ooh. been in the arts community here. Um, And so it wasn't like I was stepping into something I had never like even known or done before. It just was like re-familiarizing myself with like the changes that had occurred since I had stepped out of it. And then being like, okay, this is what I remember from when I was here. Let's see if it's the same. Do people still go to these places? Do they still do these things? Or like reaching out um, to people that I had like known previously. Okay. Yeah. Going from there. Okay. And I think it takes like a different form too. The older you get, and like now it's it is art. You do it because it is your passion, but you are also trying to make a profit. Like you are building a business around it, and like, do you think that that's that that 
changes as you like I don't feel like what I do is art you know what I mean so it's like does it have that different kind of like emotional feel than maybe if you were just trying to sell something does that make sense Mm. I think it depends on the person like do you want your stuff to feel like art or do you want it to feel like a business like I think it just depends on what your answer is to that um and everyone's reason for doing something is different. And for me, I knew that I wanted Velvet Outlaw to be a business. Okay. Um, I, because, you know, I've, I've had a creative arts practice my entire life. Like, I've never stopped creating art. Um, but I never made any of those things with the intent that it would make me money. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I- yeah. And we're out here trying to make all the dollars with Velvet sure. Outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can, I think people, especially if you don't have your own business, they think that there's like this big disconnect. Like if you're really, you know, trying to make money that you're not passionate about it and feel as strongly about it as art. It's just, you know, it's your dollar signs or whatever. And I think there can be both. Like I think you can actually make more money when you have that real love and passion put into what you're trying to sell. Yeah, and I think making making money for me, like how I make it through Velvet Outlaw, like I have full control over how I do that and who I work with and how I obtain that. And so making sure that it aligns with like my values and ethics of the business and also of mine, because they're intertwined, I have more financial freedom in that way even if I don't have any money now, I can't, I can decide financial freedom because you have so much. It's because you can do what you want with what you do have. Yes. And there's no one telling me how I can and can't make money. Um, and I think I was like shown growing up that there are certain people that get to make those decisions. Um, and then when I grew up and lived a lot of life and was like, none of this is real. Like, none of these things are true. I just, like, bought into this concept mm-hmm. um, that this is how things have to be. And nothing is like that. Preach. Ooh, this is getting powerful and deep right. already. No, Woo. absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking really about. good points. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you, how you sell how you source clients, is it primarily online? Is it more in person? Is it more handshake? How, how, how exactly does the process work for somebody to work with Velvet Outlaw? So I tell people there's kind of three avenues. So there's the like, you meet me at a market kind of like pop-up way. And then, you know, there's that, the in-person, then there's just like online through the website, or there's people that reach out to me specifically because they have an event or something that they want me to make them an outfit for, or they have this idea that they want to see come to life through the lens of Velvet Outlaw. Okay. And so kind of those, those three avenues. Also have a pretty curated community, you know, and I also like up until two weeks ago was a business of one person. So in having a responsible business, I also have no intention of growing faster than I can handle because I don't want the quality that people have like learned and that I produce to go down just because I now all of a sudden have gone viral and have to like make a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, and so I think there will be a time and a place for, 
for that for me to like grow, but I don't think that I need paid ads and advertising, um, like paid advertising sure. to do that. Well, I think your your market is so niche and so specialty mm-hmm. that you're right. Like it's it's a lot easier for your ideal audience to find you than to just say, you know, I make clothes where you would have to advertise and get into the sea with everyone else on on yeah. social media. Now, if someone wants to pay me. Um, sure. <laughs> that's an ongoing theme on this. Like, join our Patreon that doesn't exist kind of stuff. We say that all the time. Um, yeah, if you want to pay us to shill whatever, you know, we will happily talk about Soul Glow or Nuprin or whatever you want. I mean, if it aligns with the Velvet Outlaw values, like, you can pay me and I'll talk about it. Well, or think- if you want me to eat something, you can pay me and I'll eat something. <laughs> This is also going to become like a food challenge podcast. Oh, God, no. <laughs> we have to eat good. a 10 pound burger while we're sitting here. Oh. I, I like what you said about, um, you know, your clients finding you also, because that's something we've talked about is especially when you're new, a lot of people, including me, you just throw everything at the wall to see what works. And sometimes that helps because maybe you find something you hadn't or hadn't tried or thought of before, but I think you can shoot yourself in the foot by taking on clients, customers, projects that don't align with you or your business or your brand. So that's really smart because I, I, you know, you want to be awesome and big and for everybody to know you and love you, but it doesn't do any good if it's not the people that you want yeah. to love you. Agreed. Well, and I think also realizing early on that my business is not for everybody and I do not want to work with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I say no to people a lot. Um when I probably shouldn't because I'm a new business and I should be out here just like thankful for what money is being offered to me. But at the same time, if I want to be true to Velvet Outlaw and to the business, like I can't just be saying yes to everything um, because that's not helpful. Where does that confidence come from? Because like you said, there's that that always lingering thought of I should take any job that comes my way. Like Mm -hmm. how do you find that confidence to just Cut it off at the pass. From years of just like failing. <laughs> um, that makes perfect sense to me because that's that's worth the point where I'm at too. Is now I'm turning down work mm-hmm. uh, because as we were talking earlier, you know, you're very intentional about all of the costs that go into when you say this costs me this much to produce. You're not just talking about raw materials. Yeah, you're talking about everything. And if you take that a little further, if you're if you're working with the wrong clients in most fields, especially in mine, the mental toll and the time spent on mm. people who aren't aligned with the way you do things, you know, it's not on your ledger, but there's definite cost to that. And that's time you can't spend with the ideal clients, sourcing the ideal clients or providing them what you really do well. Because yeah. you're busy over here trying to shoehorn what you do into what these people's expectations are. So I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. Uh, you are just coming at it far earlier than most small business owners do, um, which is there's nothing wrong with that. And some small business owners like me, I didn't really know when I started. I mean, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but then as I came across the ideal customers and the non-ideal customers, that idea was formed more of, okay, sure. this wasn't really worth the time or the effort, or I, it was fine, but I didn't f- 
feel get that feeling in my stomach like I was excited about it. Um, and that, so that idea kind of formed in my mind over time versus, you know, going into it with that clear vision. I admire that about you. Well, thank you. But I think also like to pull back the curtain on that a little bit for me is like, this is not my first business either. And so I think most people don't know that. Um, but it's my first business that has made it this far um, and has been successful in a way that the others haven't. Um, there are some people that have the privilege of having their first business be like the one that stays right, and yeah. is great. Um, but when you're a fully self-funded small business that focuses on serving the queer community, um, you know, it's rough out there. Let's talk about this self-funding, because this mm -hmm. is a conversation that me and Jay had right before we got here, but have had several times about, um, I guess I don't really have a question, but would just like to hear your perspective on that pressure from social media where everybody looks like it's their first go at it, and they're super successful, and they're, they have all these followers, and they're making all this money. Um, how do you deal with that kind of pressure when you see these other people? Um, luckily I just like, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for them. And if that's their journey, that's great. Um, but unless they're like coming to me with a $10,000 check, like I'm, I'm not taking much from it. Um, there are a few people that I'm like, yeah, sure. That's aspirational, but I'm not like using them as like a milestone for myself. Um, mostly because I don't know what I'm doing half the time. And so it's hard to even find a baseline within that to know how to arrive at the next goalpost. Right. Um, I have like my internal goals that I have that I set every year for Velvet Outlaw. Um, and if we meet those, then I'm like, great, like we did it. How did you come to the conclusion or did you always kind of know that like your own business was also going to be something that like you liked doing? Because I know a lot of people, um, maybe they're photographer. They love photography, so they start a photography business. Well, now they hate photography, and they don't want to take a picture ever again. Mm -hmm. So is like, that you? Yeah, because he used to be a photographer. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Some people, aka me, like I love okay. this. I'm good this at is this. Therapy. You just didn't know it. I'm gonna try. I am this. a licensed therapist. Hey, hey. Yeah. all this. right, let's do it. Two birds with one stone. I'm gonna, I'm, so, gonna, I'm gonna start a whole new podcast with a new title and everything for this part. So yes. I was born in 1988 because I'm not let, I'm not renewing my license. <laughs> hey, that was when I was a private investigator. It expired last June, and now people, I'm not sorry. No. Well, when I was born, the first childhood trauma that I remember mm -hmm. is <laughs> I'm ready. I'm like, yeah, let's get wow. into it. Um, it, was that a fear? Did you have that in the back of your mind? Like, Hey, maybe is, is this going to turn into something that I dread or have you been in any points with velvet outlaw where you're like, I really love doing this, but this is putting a lot of pressure on like my creative juju or like my happiness, making this how I make money also. No, I have not had that mostly because I don't do things that aren't fun for me. Um, which is really annoying to a lot of people. <laughs> I'm like, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. And like, as soon as something- That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah. Yes. Um, but there was, you know, 30 years of my life learning that through a lot of different things. Um, and 
I have a lot of hobbies that I love, but I would never want to monetize them. Um, and so when thinking about starting Velvet Outlaw, it this was none of those hobbies. And so it was like a safe space for me to be in. Um, okay. Yeah. I had never done what I'm doing now until I decided to start my business. So I didn't have like a chance to think about is this something I'm going to get sick of or am I going like, to not like doing this anymore? And it hasn't happened for me yet either. But I did kind of learn it, it's hard sometimes to well, say I, I'm, I'm not going to do this because I don't enjoy it. You I know? think you're also, mm -hmm. so you're, <clears throat> you have also pivoted quite often and tried things and moved away from them just like I do. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's like what she's doing is very, very specific and like you said yourself, if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it. Whereas, you know, you're selling a whole lot of different products and you try things and some of them, you just like, that didn't work. I'm not doing that anymore. Or I didn't enjoy that. Or that was not worth the time spent. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's more of an iterative process for you than, than like this. Like this is, this is very definitely what it is. And yeah. I don't think even, you know, I don't think there's even room to pivot just because it's so specific. Um, yeah, I mean, I do I do pivot a lot within the business, mm -hmm. you know, like kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like I spent the whole first year just like throwing stuff at the wall to see what, what I liked doing, what people were receptive to. I mean, within, within Velvet Outlaw, you know, last year I had, like if we want to be like super retail technical, I had like almost 400 SKUs, which is a wow. ton. Yeah. Wow. For um, a one woman small business um and now we have like 12 oh wow um and then there's like variations within that sure um but yeah when i like sat down with my like end of year stuff three weeks ago um i like looked at all the different things i made and it was like very close to 400 like wow. different things wow um and so yeah i think it just looks a little different now. It's not like clothing and then like photography. It's like, okay, we had this earring and it sucked. And then I decided to try it this way and it was good. Or like I made this suit or like now this year, I don't want to have to make another dress or a skirt ever again. Like, boom, please no. So it's, we're not doing it. Like it's not happening anymore. Um, and I'll direct you to whomever can do that for you in our community, but it's not going to be Velvet Outlaw. <laughs> um, now we're making jock straps instead because that brings me joy currently. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we're pivoting. We got less skews. We're happy. But it's you're keeping fun. your focus the same, which is, is it aligned with my, my beliefs, my morals, and am I having fun while I'm doing it? Mm -hmm. And it sells. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a good profit margin. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good lesson, I think, for me and for lots of people because I think it's easy to take your own happiness or joy out of it when you are looking at the numbers portion of it. Sure. At the end of the day, when I'm looking back on it because it's not bringing me my ideal customer who's going to be cool with everything that I want to do. Um, so I think that's a good lesson for all million of our worldwide <laughs> listeners. Yes. That it's her tell. She looks directly at the camera when she's talking some bullshit. <laughs> it's the best. She looks I really appreciate it. I'm used to it being like more in front of me right. so I can look at it more without craning my neck. But um, I just think I, I that resonates with me a lot because 
I do want to have that freedom of, of having my own business and being able to do what I want. But I always kind of feel that pressure of, well, somebody might like this, you know, and are they going to pay for it? And that's extra money. I'm doing it to, to, like you said, to make money, but I also want to be true to my own voice. For me, I go based on, does this feel right for me? And if it does feel right for me, I'm going to figure out how to get that money to do that. It's not like, what do I have left over after my expenses now based on these $18? What can I then make? Like That's that's not how I run my business, even though that's like how a lot of people, like that's how they say you should, like you should have a profit first model. Um, and I have a fun first model, so. Yes, <laughs> I love fun first. Trademark, hashtag fun copyright. First. Well, and I, you have to have that passion if you're a small business sure. owner. You have to have it. And if you don't have it, maybe it's not the business aspect. Maybe it's not that you're not making a profit. Maybe it's because you're not doing what you're passionate about. Well, And that's what's causing you to not be able to make a profit. Yeah, and I think it just depends. Like. It's going to be different for everybody, and everyone's got to figure it out. Like, I'm still really early on, so I kind of have that ability to, like, play and make a mess. Um, but, like, trust me, like, at the end of every week, well, really on Mondays, I have my, like, CEO days, and I'm, like, at the computer, in my spreadsheets, in my QuickBooks, like, doing the boring mm -hmm. money stuff. Like, that's not necessarily, like, the fun that's, like, the fringe and rhinestones. Um, but it, that part is still fun for me because then I get to see, like, I view it as, like, this is my time to see my opportunities. And based on, like, how we're doing and how I'm organizing it all, that's how I know what opportunities are available to me in the future, whether it's financially or maybe I just need to be more creative with the materials I already have. Um you know, but it's, there's still like, I would say I'm probably spend 30% of my time doing like the not fun things, which is like the bookkeeping and the math. I do a lot of math. Well, that's, what's going to provide you longevity Yeah, because tons of people start a business a hundred percent on their passion and try to sustain it strictly because I love this so much. And I like a lot of those people end up hating photography or whatever was their passion because that's the whole business. And they don't intentionally run it like a business, yeah. like you are right from the get-go. Yeah, like you better love spreadsheets or learn to yes. love them. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I do. I love data. I love a nice graph. Like, get me in all those colors. Like You're working both sides of the brain. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's because I had this whole life, this whole career before this, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't just, like, wake up one day and was like, I want to... So thanks. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's a really great point too. Cause I, um, maybe if you're not like an entrepreneur or a small business owner, I think people just think, Oh, well they didn't want to work a nine to five. So they started their own business making cupcakes or whatever. Um, but you really do bring all of those experiences, even if you can't see the direct correlation you bring that into your business and you use that to your benefit. Smooth transition here. I did want to talk about your space um, because we have, this will be our third onsite. Our first one was at a barber shop. Mm -hmm. So obviously it was a barber shop. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did an interview with Caitlin in her studio, which is in her home. Um, 
we both work out of our homes technically. So tell us about why you felt like you needed your own space for Velvet Outlaw. That, Good question. that was just for Velvet Outlaw. Well, it started in my attic. Um, and I was still working my other job at the same time. And so that worked out really well because I was working like 80 hours a week at that job. And then I'd like come home and then work, you know, 40 hours a week in my (laughs) attic um, and sleep never. Um, So it like served its purpose then. Um, But as I started getting more clients, more custom orders, I was like, I have all these people that are like coming over to my house and my attic doesn't have heat or air. And like, that's uncomfortable. Uh, Like, I don't care that they're coming over to my home. Um, But also, if you were, like, over five, seven, like, you can't stand up (laughs) straight. (laughs) Um, So there's just, like, a lot of logistical issues there. Um, And I knew that this wasn't going to be a hobby. Like, I wanted this to be a legitimate business. And part of that was, like, taking the risk, the financial risk, to move out and pay for a space. Um, And I looked high and low everywhere, have gotten and failed so many times at finding a spot, eventually landed here at Melwood begrudgingly um, because I just wanted something different. Um, But I sucked it up and like realized that that can be like a future dream, you know, but what what I needed right now was just like somewhere to land. Um, And so Melwood like served its purpose for me in that way. Um, and then now I'm in this new space, which is still at Melwood, but it's even better and I can hold more people. And I think it feels, this to me feels legit, mm-hmm. you know, like I got so like much stuff in here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's full of stuff. I got right. things everywhere. So it's beautiful. Yeah. I actually like working in quiet. I don't like to have listen to music. I don't want to talk to anybody. Like, I just want to hear the silence while I work. Yeah, it was the exact opposite of what I'm doing right now. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's my aspiration is to one day have, like, the Sandy Pants studio, you know, but nobody's invited there. It's just for me. (laughs) I think that's fine. Like, I, this, people are not invited. Like, you have to literally be invited to come here like yeah, it's not I, an I'm open shop yes I'm yeah. not an open retail storefront and so I think that you can decide for you whatever you want that's like kind of the magic of sure. it all right that's the whole point <laughs> yeah. what made you decide because you did have shop hours previously right mm-hmm. where people yeah, could come year. in and shop was there some like what would what helped you make that decision that maybe that wasn't what was best for um, law? in non-planned foot traffic i only did 800 dollars in sales mm. as a retail storefront um, and that is not good and that is not um what i plan like i did not start velvet outlaw to become a retail store manager okay that is not a desire of mine at all ever it could be a version of velvet outlaw where we have a retail store but i can tell you 100 percent, i will not be the store manager <laughs> of that like that is not my plan um and so if that happens, y'all hold me accountable. Bring this back because I'm not going to be happy. Just so happens you know somebody who spent a career as a retail store manager. I, I highly recommend you don't do it. So. Yeah, I am. Um, and I worked in like hospitality and food service for a long time. And like that was enough of like peopling mm. for me um, in, in that capacity. And so, yeah, there is someone out there that I think would love to be the Velvet Outlaw retail store manager when we get to that point. And I am really excited to meet them. To meet them. <laughs> uh, if you're watching now, mm-hmm. send your application. I'm currently <laughs> figuring out how to pay you, so check back in with me. <laughs> 
All right, so um, let's pivot a little bit. And, and a question we like to often ask people is, you know, are there, and it sounds like you definitely know some, some small businesses in Louisville that you wish more people knew about mm-hmm. along, you know, in your community or some, you know, friend, whoever. And it doesn't have to be one, doesn't have to be five, just, you know, some small businesses that maybe don't get the credit or get the, get the traffic or, or people should know more about them. Who do you love? Oh, my gosh, I love everybody. That's my problem. But I think... To bring it back to what we were talking about before, I'll tell you about the ones that are kind of in my like small go. business cohort that yeah. like we kind of started yes. together. Like a gang. Yes. Like a cabal. Well, actually, well, maybe not that. Yeah. Um, I do. Cult. Yes. Yeah. Cult. Yes. I have long term. I told you we turned this into a cult podcast eventually. Here it is. Can it be though? Because yes. it's inching towards an every episode. I want that more than anything. Maybe not Let's like the predatory way, culty energy, but like. Maybe a little. An intentional <laughs> culty community, like an intentional community. A commune. Like I yes, I want to live in one so bad. So if you know any, uh, yes. <laughs> but the business is Hard Times Collective. Okay. Um, I happen to be a vendor there, and so they are in um, Butcher Town mm-hmm. on Washington Street next to 1020. Across and- from Nave. Yes. 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 And yes. Kayla. Who is downstairs? Who works for me part time? Is the owner oh, of Hard okay. Times Collective, okay. one of the owners. Yes, Woo! yes. Um, and so they have, um, I want to say like over forty different vendors. Wow. That wow. sell at Hard Times. I get to be one of them. Um, it's super cool. They have um, vintage secondhand clothing, art, jewelry. Um, used to have some furniture. I don't know if they have that anymore, but. They're amazing. Cool. Love them. Are there any other businesses in your, or is everybody in the hard times? No. Well, so another business Come is on. Madkind Design. Okay. And that's Madison. And she did all of the branding and design and my website. And oh, so cool. Velvet Outlaw would not exist without Madkind Design. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cool. Yes. She's very good. Okay. Um, you also will know her work if you know Women-Owned Wallet. Yeah. She did all of their branding design and okay. work for them. Yes. Um, and so many others, like Maddie About Cake, who sells macarons and other baked goods that are amazing. Madison did all of her stuff. Um, and then Maddie About Cake is also um, kind of in our like the small business new kid bubble. And she's great. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Where do our listeners find Velvet Outlaw? On our website, which is velvetoutlaw.com. On Instagram, velvet.outlaw. On TikTok, velvetoutlaw, no dot. Because <laughs> it a chart. was available. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I'm on Pinterest, Velvet Outlaw. So if you want to see where um, all of my ideas originate from or how outfits are created, you can kind of get like a deep dive into what my brain looks like there. Um, So that's kind of fun. And then here in my physical store, you can message me on Instagram or email me and you can come to my store. I will let you, you just have to ask first, Um, mostly to know if I'm here or not. Sure. Um, And that's at Melwood Art Center, which is 1860 Melwood Avenue, Studio 268. Right, up in the tower. Boom. Yes, the Fashion Fortress. Oh, the, ooh. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now it's got kind of a super friends thing going on. Yeah. 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 Um, what is if a guy on the street comes up to you and he's like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. 
What do you say about that? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are what, you talking to me? What the hell are you doing? Run, run for your life. Well, that too, but also like, what what is what is your business? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what are you planning to do? Or like, good for you. I think anyone should try anything. I don't think that things people shouldn't do things because they feel like they can't because someone else is doing it or has done it. Um, if that were the case, like nothing would happen ever because right. nothing is an original idea anymore. It just happens to be you. You're the one that's doing it, which is what made, makes it special. Um, so yeah, I hope that that nice man on the street starts his business. Good luck to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're pulling for you. Be on our podcast once once you've made it. We'll tell you about Hot Pink. <laughs> <laughs> hot Pink Accounting. All right. Um, you want to want to kind of tie it up? Thank you for joining us at the Fashion Fortress and. We hope that you think about adding a little rhinestone and a little little fringe to your life in the future. Now. You should do it now. <laughs> I'm Angie. And I'm Jay. And I'm Velvet Outlaw. See ya. Birds aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Now we're going to get on all. We want to talk about conspiracy theories. That's not a conspiracy. It's true. <laughs> Thank you. TikTok? Huh? No, that's, that's been known for a long time. They're actually robots made by the NSA. There's no real birds. That makes me feel better because I hate If you birds. look at the physics of birds, it's they're impossible. They're always watching They're not you. real. Yeah, and they're always watching you. So then are planes based on the NSA, not actually on birds? I mean, don't get me started on birds. Damn. <laughs> don't I even know. start on the planes. Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. We did it. And then there's magnets. Whole nother. Magnets. Thanks for checking out this episode of the More Gooder Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at More Gooder Ideas and search us up on Facebook, the More Gooder Ideas Podcast. And don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode.